Turn in your Bibles, please, to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. James 4, verses 13 through 14. Read with me there, please. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The title of this morning's sermon is Sober Coronavirus Reflection. Sober Coronavirus Reflection, subtitled Don't Waste the Coronavirus. My heart, my mind, my prayer for the body of Christ universal and for the particular body of Christ, the local church that I am blessed to pastor, as at this time of coronavirus pandemic, social isolation, and global panic, it will not be a time wasted in the lives of Christians born again from above and indwelt with the Spirit of God. It will not be a time where they fear death, but a time where they fear God and they draw closer to God in faith. Sober coronavirus reflection. As of this morning, there are 683,536 coronavirus cases around the globe. As of this morning, 32,139 men and women out of 7.8 billion people on the planet have died. As of this morning, there are 123,828 coronavirus cases in the United States of America. As of this morning, 2,231 men and women out of 330 million people in America have died. The coronavirus has given mankind an entirely unique opportunity. The entire globe has never come to the grinding halt that we're experiencing today. Humanity's never been so universally humbled in the midst of the global pandemic panic. We all have significantly more time and motivation to consider life and eternity. My prayer, my hope for each of you is that you will take that time for sober reflection right now in this hour as the Word of God is brought to bear upon you, and in the days and weeks and perhaps months to come as we deal with the coronavirus. I briefly want to reflect upon the history of pandemics around the globe. The plague of Justinian in 541 AD took 30 to 50 million lives. The Black Death, a fairly famous plague in the history of plagues, took place in 1347 and resulted in the loss of 200 million lives. The New World smallpox outbreak occurred in 1520 and 56 million men and women died. During the Great Plague of London in 1665, 100,000 people died. The Italian plague in 1629 took 1 million lives. The cholera pandemics between the years of 1817 and 1923, took over a million lives. What's known as the 
third plague in 1885 took 12 million lives in China and India. The yellow fever in the late 1800s killed somewhere between 100,000 and 150,000 people in the United States of America. The Russian flu between the years of 1889 and 1890 killed a million people. The Spanish flu that took place in 1918 killed 40 to 50 million people. The Asian flu in 1957 killed 1.1 million people. The Hong Kong flu in 1968 killed 1 million people. HIV, AIDS, from 1981 to the present has killed 25 to 35 million people. The swine flu in 2009 took 200,000 lives. SARS in 2002 took 770 lives. Ebola between the years of 2014 and 2016 took 11,000 lives. MERS from 2015 to present has taken 850 lives. And COVID-19 or the coronavirus from 2019 to this day has taken 32,139 lives. A brief history of pandemics. A story came out this morning in the Christian Post that brings the coronavirus closer to home and makes it even more personal. The title of the story in the Christian Post is Texas Sunday School Teacher, Father of Six, Dies of Coronavirus. A 44-year-old perfectly healthy man, a father of six who was teaching kids at a church in Texas, died two days after testing positive for the COVID-19 virus. Remembering him as the best kind of father, Brenda Johnson said he was, quote, perfectly healthy with no pre-existing health conditions. You hear that the people who die are older or have previous health conditions, but he was neither, and the virus took him down hard. His wife, Angela Mendez, was quoted as saying, It can happen to anyone. It's not just a story that happens to people across the world. It's here, and it's real, and it can kill anyone, just like it did my husband. He was kind, Johnson said. He was patient. He cared about others. He loved his family so much. He was very involved in our community and our church. He was a fine Christian man who was faithful to serve as God, and he had a wonderful and supportive family, the church's pastor, Ray Still, said. He was healthy and strong, and in no fault of his own was stricken with this dreadful virus. His passing should be sobering to all. Again, the title of this message is Sober Coronavirus Reflection. We've read James chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Let me read it again. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. What is the point of sharing these stories about disease and death? It's to remind you in real time of the eternal truth of James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? 
It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Dear brother, dear sister, don't waste the coronavirus. Stop and soberly consider the frailty of your life. Soberly consider the reality that death is coming for all of us. That life is brief and life is frail. And that a 44-year-old father of six in full health died of the coronavirus just this last week. That concludes our introduction. First point, reflect on the global curse of sin and death that's dragging sinners to hell daily. Every life is precious, dear saint. And yet as we consider that 32,139 precious lives were lost, we do need to put it into perspective that that's out of a global population of 7.8 billion people. Here's the greater reality regarding sin and death. Every single one of the 7.8 billion people living and breathing on this planet will soon be dead. The death rate for humanity is 100%. We're all going to die. There's a global pandemic panic because 32,000 people have died of coronavirus. Oh, dear friends, yesterday, 125,000 babies were murdered around the world in abortuaries. And yet there's a global panic about a pandemic that's killed 32,000 over a period of months. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, every man, woman, and child has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wage of sin is death. Every man, woman, and child that has sinned has earned the wage of death, physically and eternally under eternal judgment in a very real place called hell. That's the truth of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 11 says, Woe to the wicked! It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given to him. The Word of God assures us that our holy God will give us our wages, that He will give us our due reward. Ezekiel 18, verse 20 says, The soul who sins shall die. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. We're all descendants of Adam. We've all inherited his sin nature. We all act upon that sin nature. And the curse of sin, which is death, is upon us all. In Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Dear friends, there's not a man or woman alive who is not found in that list. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Most men and women are found in several places in that list. And they shall be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The wage of sin is death, death physically, and death eternally in the lake of fire. Dear friends, we need to reflect on the global curse of sin and death that's dragging sinners to hell daily. 
Consider these numbers. Nearly two people die every single second. 1.78 people die every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day. 107 men and women die every single minute. Every time that second hand goes around the clock, 107 men and women have died and gone into eternity. 6,390 men and women die every hour. Every time that minute hand goes around the clock, one full sweep, 6,390 men and women have dropped into eternity. 153,000 precious men, women, and children die every single day around the globe. When you add up a year's worth of days, 57 million people die every year. As you consider the average lifespan of 70 years, 3.9 billion people die during one human being's average lifespan. My prayer, and I invite you to join me in this prayer, is that the coronavirus will cause a spiritual revival of sober reflection upon the reality of sin and death. Let me speak for a moment to those of you who have not yet confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Now is the time. Flee from sin. Flee from death. Flee from hell. Flee to Jesus Christ, the only Savior, fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, crucified for sinners, buried, resurrected, and seated at the right hand of the Father as the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. My dear friend, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and be saved from the eternal and just penalty of sin called hell. Be saved from the second death in the lake of fire. Your life is a vapor. Soon it will be gone. You're one breath and one heartbeat from eternity in hell. Here's the sober truth. You may be dead by the end of today. You may never see tomorrow. Even if you see 10,000 tomorrows, all too soon, death and hell are going to swallow up your precious life and soul. Don't be lulled into a false sense of security. Soon you'll be dead, perhaps much sooner than you think. Now is the time to flee to Christ and find forgiveness, grace, mercy, and eternal life. Outside of Christ, there is only certainty of death and hell to come. In Christ, there is life now and forever under the fullness of God's love. Oh, dear friend, reflect on the global curse of sin and death that's dragging sinners to hell. And if you've yet to repent and confess Christ as Lord, now is the time. Repent, flee from sin, flee from death, flee from hell to Jesus Christ. Again, the title of this message is Sober Coronavirus Reflection. First point, reflect on the global curse of sin and death that's dragging sinners to hell daily. Second point, reflect on the brevity of life. Again, James 4.13-14 says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. May that scripture be driven into your heart. 
May that scripture fill up the synapses of your mind. You who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. We all tend to live in that way. As if we have 10,000 tomorrows or 20,000 tomorrows, as if it's a granted truth, when in reality, we don't know that at all. When in reality, death is a certainty coming for each one of us, and all too often, it comes before we're ready. It comes as a surprise. The Word of God reminds us that you do not know what will happen tomorrow. And then God asks you, this is God asking you through the hand of James, God asks you for what is your life? I challenge you to soberly reflect upon that. What is your life? Reflect on the brevity of life. Reflect on the reality that your life is frail. Reflect on the reality that you are weak. There are any number of threats to your life that can instantly end it. From the microscopic virus to an auto accident to a fire in your home in the night to a criminal desiring the contents of your wallet who is willing to take your life to get them. There are any number of threats to your life at every given moment. And you are always, always one breath and one heartbeat from death. Reflect on the brevity of life. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. A dew in the cool of the morning that soon evaporates under the mid-morning sun. Your life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's gone. It's gone, dear friends. And as precious as people are, and as much as we love the people in our lives, reality is soon after you're dead, you're forgotten. You will live, you will die, and you will be forgotten. Consider, my friends, the brevity of life. Soberly reflect on the brevity of life. As you soberly reflect on the brevity of life, let me ask you, what are you living for? What would your close friends and family say you're living for if they took a hard look at your life, at where you spend your time, at where you spend your money, at where you spend your energy, at what you view on television, at what you view on the internet, at what you delete from your internet history, at what fills your social media, at what makes you happy? And what makes you sad? And what makes you angry? And what you laugh at? And what you support and vote for? At your daily prayer or lack thereof? At your daily Bible reading or lack thereof? At your worship or lack thereof? At your obedience to the Great Commission or your lack thereof? At your empathy or apathy toward the genocide of 1.6 billion babies since 1980? At your empathy or apathy towards billions of sinners perishing in their sin and at what you're willing to suffer and die for. Again, during the average lifespan of the average human being, 3.9 billion men and women will die and step into eternity, the vast majority of them outside of the grace of God. 
through repentance and faith in Christ. The vast majority of them are stepping into eternal judgment. They're breathing their last breath of oxygen, and then they're breathing their first breath of sulfur in the lake of fire. Oh, friends, what are you living for? What are you willing to suffer and die for? Reflect on the brevity of life and how your life is being spent. Soberly reflect on Job chapter 7, verses 6, 9, and 10. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. Reflect upon Job 9, verses 25 and 26. Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. Consider soberly Job 14, verses 1 and 2. Man who is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. Let the truth of Psalm 39, verses 5 through 7 wash over your heart and mind and make you sober. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. Salah. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Here, Psalm 78, verse 39. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. And Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Dear brother and sister, cry out to God in this hour of coronavirus reflection that He would teach you to number your days that you may gain a heart of wisdom. In review, the first point, reflect on the global curse of sin and death that's dragging sinners to hell daily. 153,000 sinners die daily. The vast majority of them outside of the grace of God. Second point, reflect on the brevity of life. Third point, reflect on how you should spend the one precious life you've got. The one precious life God has given you to be spent for His glory. Again, James chapter 4, verse 13 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. 
the Lord would reason with you. He invites you to come. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Is that a good life plan? Is that a solid Christian life goal? Is that how then we should live? How we should spend the one precious life God has given us to be spent on His glory? Clearly the answer is no. That our life is not to be spent moving about upon the earth, city to city, spending a year here and a year there, buying this, selling that, and making a profit. Oh, friends, that's how the pagans live. That's how the unbeliever wastes away his life, moving about from here to there, seeking this entertainment, seeking that entertainment, seeking this profit, seeking to buy and to sell this thing, all according to the dictates of their own sinful heart, in no way to glorify their God and Creator. They're spending their life frivolously, moving about the earth, buying this thing, selling that thing, all to make a profit that the profit might be spent on their entertainment, for their satisfaction, for their own vain glory. All too often, dear Christian, we can fall into that same pattern of living where we go to school and we start a career and we buy a house and we buy cars and then we buy another house and then we move to get another career and then we move to advance our career and we buy a bigger house yet and we buy a boat and we buy a vacation house. This passage of Scripture and so many like it reveal that that is a life wasted, a life spent on frivolous pursuits of things that are passing away. Oh, certainly you should get an education. Certainly there should be a career that you endeavor to labor in for the glory of God, for the provision of your family, to raise up godly offspring. But saints, we must keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is always the glory of God to the redemption of sinners. Reflect on how you should spend the one precious life you've got. Dear friends, don't waste your life moving about city to city, spending a year here and a year there, buying and selling and making a profit. For soon your life will be over and only that which you've done for Christ, only that which you've done for the glory of your God and King, only that which you've done in submission to the Great Commission, will last. Let's look to the Lord Jesus Christ's words in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 34, to further illumine what James is teaching us in James 4, 13. Luke 12, verse 16. Then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night 
your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Hear that again. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 22, Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Oh, dear brother and sister, seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. The nations of the world seek after the things that are perishing. The nations of the world are reflected there in James 4.13, saying today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. They're entirely short-sighted. They don't live with any consciousness of eternity. They don't live with any consciousness with any consciousness of eternal judgment. They don't live with any consciousness of hell or heaven or Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners who rescues them from hell and opens up the entrance of heaven to them that they might enter in and hear, well done, good and faithful doulos. Oh, friends, the nations of the world seek after the things that are perishing. The nations of the world are only concerned with what they can get, what they can spend, what they can purchase, what they can sell, what they can own. The nations of this world have no concern for eternity. They have no concern for righteousness. Above all, they have no concern for the glory of God and that their life might be spent for the glory of God. Of God, their King. All these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. By all means, get educated or get trained that you might labor in a field for the glory of God with some expertise but do so for the glory of God. Do so for the honor of His name. 
do so for the furtherance of the gospel in that field, whatever that field might be. You are God's missionary there. You are God's messenger there. You are carrying God's law there to be the standard of righteousness, to be a tutor, to bring men to Christ, to be justified by faith. You're carrying God's gospel there to be the good news that sinners can be saved. For the sweet Savior has come and suffered and died and rose again and conquered sin and death and sits at the right hand even now ready to intercede on their behalf if they'll but repent. And so, oh yes, friends, you must labor, you must work by the sweat of your brow to provide for your family and yourself and the furtherance of the gospel for the work of the local church. But do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the honor of of his name and he says he will be faithful to provide he will be faithful in providing all that you need you need not fret you need not worry you can trust in your heavenly father Luke 12 verse 32 says do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom Above all, we are to be kingdom-minded. We are to put off the short-sightedness of the world and to put on eyes that look to eternity and look to the kingdom to come. Even as the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, how, Lord, should we pray? Pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to be kingdom-minded, dear saints, in our prayers and in our mindset. Not short-sighted, but kingdom-sided. Fix your eyes on the king and fix your eyes on the kingdom to come. And you have a certain place in that kingdom. This earth is passing away and all the kingdoms thereof. We dare not put our hope in this earth or the kingdoms upon it, for they are passing away. We dare not put our hope and faith and confidence or find our peace in our own little personal kingdom. Oh, friends, it's all passing away. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Dear saints, invest your treasure in true treasure. Invest the treasure that God has entrusted to you in the treasure of heaven. Invest your treasure in souls. The only thing you can take with you into the kingdom to come are the souls of the men and women and children around you. The men and women and children who have one brief life to live in which they must repent and confess Christ as Lord or they will perish. The men, women, and children that are all under the curse of sin and death and being drugged down to hell by their sin and the just penalty of sin, which is death and death eternal. Dear Christian, Reflect on how you should spend the one precious life you've got. Consider the life of the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, verses 17 through 31. This is a snapshot from his 
life. How then should we live? Well, at one place, Paul writes to the church and says, follow me as I follow Christ. So let's look in Acts 20, verse 17 and see what that might look like. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia and what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In Acts 20, verses 17 to 31, we see the Apostle Paul's gospel-driven life. We see a life given over to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul suffered tears and trials. The Apostle Paul kept nothing back that was helpful, but preached and taught publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He preached repentance. He exposed sin. He preached the law of God that it might be a tutor to bring men to Christ to be justified by faith. He called all men everywhere to turn from their idols to the one true living God, to bend their knee to Jesus Christ, to confess Him as Lord and God, crucified, buried, and resurrected, the only Savior. He testified to Jews and to Greeks. That's all humanity, all mankind. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23. See, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. The Apostle Paul willingly marched toward chains and tribulations for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He willingly marched toward suffering for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love of God and love of perishing sinners compelled the apostle Paul throughout his life to suffer many tears and trials and at the end of his life to march steadily toward his own imprisonment and death. Verse 24 But none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. As you reflect on how you should spend the one precious life you've got, focus in on Acts 20, verse 24, where the Apostle Paul says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The Apostle Paul knew with certainty that there was suffering ahead of him, that chains and tribulations awaited him. Even as many tears and trials were behind him, chains and tribulation were ahead of him. And he says, none of these things move me. None of these things move me. 
What moves you? In this hour of coronavirus, what is moving you? Consider that. What is moving you in your career? What is moving you in your family decisions? What is moving you in your educational decisions? What is moving you in your personal friendships? What is moving you to write checks? What is moving you to pull a credit card from your pocket? What is moving you about the earth to go here or there? What is moving the hand that is on that mouse on your desk as you look on that computer screen? What is moving your mouth when you open it? What is moving you to laugh when you laugh? What's moving you to mourn when you mourn? What is moving you, dear Christian? The love of God, the love of the saints, and the love of the lost is what moved the Apostle Paul. Not love of self. The love of self will never allow you to love God, to love the saints of God, and to love perishing sinners. You must die to self and take up the cross like the Apostle Paul before you. None of these things move me. Self-love does not move him. Self-preservation does not move him. Concern for chains and tribulations does not move him. Concern for tears and trials does not move him. Concern for persecution at the hand of Jews or persecution at the hand of Greeks or persecution at the hand of any man does not move him. Concern for the loss of his life or his liberty or his property does not move him. Concern for the glory of his God and King is what moves him. Concern for loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength is what moves him. Concern for loving his neighbor with abandon is what moves him. Concern for loving and edifying and encouraging the saints of God and saying, follow me as I follow Christ is what moves him. Concern for sinners being drugged down to hell by their sins is what moves him. It's what must move us. Reflect on how you should spend the one precious life you've got. Reflect on what is moving you, dear saint. What is moving you? By the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul could say, none of these things move me. Oh, that we would pray that none of these things would move us. That the love of self, which is at the root of all these things, would not move us that the love of money, that the love of fame, that the love of comfort, the love of security, the love of a long life would not move us, but rather the love of God, the love of the saints of God, and the love of perishing sinners being drugged down to hell by their sins. 6,390 of which will die in the time that it takes me to preach this message. 153,000 of which will die today. Oh, that God would give us that heart, the heart that is not moved by the things of this world that are passing away, the heart that is not moved by the opinions of fallen men, the heart that is not moved even by the opinions of saved men that aren't renewed by the Word of God. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. In this hour of sober coronavirus reflection, consider that. 
nor do I count my life dear to myself. Now, your life is precious. Don't throw it away. Your life is precious. Don't develop a martyr complex. Your life is for the glory of God. But when you consider your life more precious than the glory of God, and when you consider your life more precious than the love of your neighbor, when you consider your life more precious than perishing sinners, then you've made your life an idol. And I counsel you, repent, repent, repent. Throughout the history of Christ's church, the ministers of Christ's gospel have run toward the battle. They've run toward the plague. They've run toward the diseased. They've run toward the suffering. But what I am seeing today is a hue and cry even in the church, certainly outside of the church, but even within the church, a hue and cry against those who would be champions of the gospel in the midst of plague. 32,000 people have died as of today around the globe. And the hue and cry is that preachers of the gospel would stay home. 153,000 men and women will step into eternity today around the globe, not because of coronavirus, but because of the wage of sin, which is death. The coronavirus has taken over a period of months, 32,000 lives. And yet many Christians are crying out against faithful evangelists who would go plead for lives. In an hour where the world is conscious of death, Christians are crying out against messengers of the gospel of life. Oh, that God would give us the heart of the Apostle Paul, a heart consumed with the love of God and a love of neighbor, a heart consumed with the mission of Jesus Christ to seek and to save the lost. None of these things move me. A heart that compels their mouth to say what Paul said to the elders of Ephesus. None of these things move me. Hear me, my fellow elders. The apostle Paul tells us none of these things move him. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. It is reasonable in an hour of disease to protect the saints of God from gathering in a local assembly. That is reasonable. It is not reasonable to withhold the word of life, the bread of life, the gospel of life, Christ who is life, from perishing sinners who perhaps for the first time in their frail and brief life are conscious of their Need for a Savior, conscious of the reality of death that is coming for them. Oh, in this hour of disease, in this hour of consciousness of death, our world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ preached boldly by preachers who don't fear death. For in Christ, they are more than conquerors. In Christ, they can say with Paul, none of these things move me nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Dear brothers and sisters, may we finish our race with joy, not with fear, not hiding, but with joy. May we carry out the ministry which we receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God from the rooftops. Do you really love your life so much? Do you really believe 
that your life is so precious that you should hide out, that you should stay home and stay alive while 153,000 men and women step into eternity every day. May the Lord renew our minds. May the Lord change our hearts that we might join the Apostle Paul by the grace of God and be able to say, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. James Montgomery Boyce shares this story of Lord Craven, a Christian and a nobleman, who was living in London when the plague ravaged the city in the 15th century. In order to escape the spreading pestilence, Craven determined to leave the city for his country home, as many of his social standing did. He ordered his coach and baggage made ready, but as he was walking down one of the halls of his home about to enter his carriage, he overheard one of his servants say to another, I suppose by my lord's quitting London to avoid the plague that his God lives in the country and not in town. It was a straightforward and apparently innocent remark, but it struck Lord Craven so deeply that he canceled his journey, saying, My God lives everywhere and can preserve me in town as well as in the country. I will stay where I am. So he stayed in London. He helped the plague victims, and he did not catch the disease himself. George Wishart preached at the gates in Dundee, Scotland, when the plague was raging. He preached from Psalm 107, verse 20. And he stayed, and he helped the people. And by the grace of God, he too was untouched. This was his text, Psalm 107, verses 19 and 20. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, may the heart that beat in the apostle Paul as exhibited in Acts 20, may the heart that beat in Lord Craven, may the heart that beat in George Wishart beat in our chest. A heart for the glory of God and the redemption of sinners in an hour of darkness. May we see the hour of darkness not as the hour to flee, not as the hour to run, not as the hour to isolate, but the hour to preach, the hour to proclaim, the hour to lift up the light of Jesus Christ on a hill that all might be drawn to Him for His glory and their eternal redemption. Reflect, dear Christian, on how you should spend the one precious life you've got. Now, I've given the following counsel repeatedly over the last several weeks. I offer it again. How should a Christian respond to COVID-19? Pray, read your Bible, do a reasonable amount of research on the virus, subjugate your research findings and all rumors and news reports, especially those you get from the internet beneath the truth of God's word. Trust God who holds the entire cosmos and all life in it, every sparrow and your precious life in his hands. Take responsible precautions according to your own understanding, circumstances, health, and conscience. Don't ridicule or anathematize people because they are more or less cautious than you are. And please don't hear me as doing that today. I don't mean to ridicule. I don't mean to anathematize those who are more cautious than I. I do mean 
to exhort God's people, especially those ministers of God's gospel, those who are called and given to the ministry of the gospel, those that Christ has commissioned into the ministry of the gospel, that they would minister the gospel, that they would not flee, but would step into the fray. Take responsible precautions according to your own understanding, circumstances, health, and conscience. Don't ridicule or anathematize people because they're more or less cautious than you are. Love your neighbors with action and truth. Remember, non-believers have every reason to be terrified. They're one heartbeat from eternity in hell. Proclaim the certain hope of the gospel. Use words. Use tracts. Use amplification if possible. Believe Jesus. Obey Jesus. Witness like Jesus. Dear Christian brothers and sisters, in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, pause, pause for sober reflection and cry out to God that He might drive this truth home in your heart. You've got one brief life to live. What makes your life precious? Have you considered that? It's not your sin. It's nothing that you bring. What makes your life precious is that Christ has redeemed it. What makes your life precious is that you're creating the image of God for the glory of God. What makes your life precious is that as a redeemed sinner now made saint, the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. And you and the power of the Spirit can bring great glory to the name of your God and King. That is what makes your life precious. You've got one brief life to live. One opportunity to glorify your God and King who set His eternal love upon you, who was pierced for your iniquities upon a cruel Roman cross, who took the eternal wrath of the Father that your sin deserved, who laid down His holy life for your wretched life, who rose from the grave on the third day, conquering sin, Satan, and the curse of death on your behalf, who ascended on high to sit at the right hand of the Father, to intercede on your behalf, who is preparing a place for you to abide forever under the eternal love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a place where there's no more sin, no more pain, no more disease, no more death, and no more tears, a new heavens and a new earth in which only righteousness dwells. You've got one brief life to live. How then should you live? How are you loving your God and King? What are you doing about your King's mission to save sinners? What are you doing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ from your lips and or your fingertips? What are you actively doing to seek and to save sinners who are one breath from eternal wrath? How are you loving the men, women, and children all around you that are perishing in their false religion and idolatry? Muslims, Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Buddhists, Hindus, Oneness Pentecostals, all dying in their sins. How are you loving the men and women all around you, perishing in their sin? Liars, thieves, drunkards, fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, lesbians, bisexuals, transgenders, non-binaries, rapists, child molesters, murderers, baby murderers, agnostics, atheists, and every other God-hater who's one heartbeat from eternity in hell. The Apostle Paul said to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Oh, to God, that that would become our consuming passion. That that would define who we are. That we would tattoo that upon our hearts, not our arm, 
to show it off, but our hearts. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is to love Christ. To live is to glorify Christ. To live is to call sinners to repent and come to their King for salvation, that they too would become lovers of Christ and blaspheme Him no more. To live is Christ. It's all for Christ. Every day, every hour, for Christ. That's the precious nature of your life. For Christ. And to die. To die is gain. To die is your best day. To die is to go to Christ, your Savior, who has set His eternal love upon you. To die is to put off this body of death. To die is to leave this sin-affected world. To die is to enter into the fullness of the love of your Father where there's no more tears or pain or death. To die is gain. Death has lost its sting. We don't live to live. We don't live to live long. We don't live to live safe. We live for Christ, knowing that to die is gain. May God write this upon our hearts. The Apostle Paul found the secret to getting your best life. Here it is. To live for Christ. Be all in for Christ. Be busy about Christ's business of saving sinners, knowing to die is gain, so that you can say with Paul in Acts chapter 20, but none of these things move me nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Live for Christ. Be busy about Christ's business of saving sinners, knowing to die is gain, knowing your best life is later, knowing your best life is the eternal life that your God and King purchased for you at the cross. The secret to getting your best life is to die to self in this life, to take up the cross in this life, and unashamedly proclaim Christ and His gospel from the rooftops with certain confidence that your best life is the eternal life yet to come. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 23, the Lord Jesus said this to them all. To them all. Hear me. This is not what the Lord Jesus said to a select few. This is what the Lord Jesus said to them all. It's what He says to you, dear Christian. If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. If Jesus is your Savior, if he is your Master, if he is your King, if you have confessed Christ as Lord, if you are a Christian in deed and reality, now is the time to consider your life soberly. Reflect upon your life. Consider the brevity of your life. Consider the meaning and purpose of your life. Consider how you're spending your one precious life. Consider how you're living the life that God authored for His glory. Consider how you should live in Christ. Consider eternal life yet to come. Consider how you should commit yourself to the truth 
that your best life is later, to cry out to God that you might die to self truly, take up the cross daily, follow Christ fully, and unashamedly make the name and gospel of Jesus Christ heard in this diseased, dying, and damned world that will soon burn with the heat of a thousand suns. Oh, that you would soberly reflect on how you should spend the one precious life you've got. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Remember James 4.13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. That's all going to burn. The Word of God is made it explicitly clear. The heavens and the earth and all that's in it is going to burn with a fervent heat. Therefore, says Second Peter, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? What manner of person ought you to be? How then should you live your one precious life? In review, as we pause our lives for a sober coronavirus reflection. Point one, reflect on the global curse of sin and death that's dragging sinners to hell daily. Point two, reflect on the brevity of life. Point three, reflect on how you should spend the one precious life you've got. And point four, reflect on our global and national abortion genocide. The goal of this message is a sober coronavirus reflection. I will have not done my duty to God, nor to you, nor to the 1.6 billion murdered unborn children if I don't include a reflection on our global and national abortion genocide. Don't waste the coronavirus. Pause your life for a sober coronavirus reflection. Pause your life to soberly reflect on our global and national abortion genocide that's taken the lives of 1.6 billion unborn babies. Once again, James chapter 4 verse 13 and 14 says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. I notice in the midst of coronavirus, we are all willing to pause our lives. We're willing to stay home and stay alive. We're willing to give up our employment and even potentially our paychecks. We're willing to give up our homes, it would seem, and even food on our tables because The coronavirus might kill us. 32,000 people have died in a world of 7.8 billion people. And the world has put out the cry to stay home and stay alive. And the body of Christ is staying home to stay alive. I'm here to call you to go, therefore, that sinners might live. I'm here to call you to go, therefore, that babies might live. I'm here to urge you to compare the 32,000 people have died over a period of months to the 125,000 babies that die every single day. Let us reflect on our global and national abortion genocide. 
Over these past months, as the coronavirus has traversed the globe, 32,139 people have died out of a population of 7.8 billion men and women on the planet. In the United States of America, 2,231 men and women have died out of a population of 330 million. And the whole world has shut down. Stay home and stay alive has become the moral mandate of the world. And if you go against that moral mandate, there is a moral outrage, a collective moral outrage, both in the world and in the body of Christ. Let's compare the numbers. Around the globe, since 1980, over these last 40 years, 1.6 billion unborn babies have been ripped limb from limb, have been crushed, have been burned, have been torn from their mother's wombs, have been used for scientific experiment, have been used for spare parts for born human beings. 1.6 billion babies have been slaughtered. It's the greatest genocide the world has ever known. Where is the hue and cry? Where is the moral outrage? Where is the call to stop everything? Stop everything. Where is the body of Christ? Why the silence? Why the apathy? There is a passionate cry from Christians to stay home and stay alive because around the globe, 32,000 human beings have died in a matter of months. And yet, every single day, 125,000 babies are ripped limb from limb. And the body of Christ is virtually silent. How dare we? How dare we open our mouths and cry for God's mercy in an hour of disease? How dare we open our mouths and cry for God to remove this plague from our land when we won't cry out against the slaughter, the willful murder of 125,000 children every day. 1.6 billion babies since 1980. May God wake up His church. Many Christians like to point out the sins of the world and say that God is judging them with this plague. I'm here to cry out against the church and to say that God is judging us and judgment begins at the house of the Lord for our apathy, for our silence, for our cowardice that we have put on display in our moral passion to stay home and stay alive and the complete apathy to go therefore that babies might live, to speak out that babies might live, to stop everything in order that babies might live. We won't give up a morning. We won't give up an afternoon. We won't give up an hour to go stand and plead for life at an abortion clinic that babies might live, that their mothers and fathers might repent and be saved, that the doctors and nurses might turn from their ghoulish deeds be born again from above and forgiven. Abortion's global genocide of 1.6 billion babies since 1980. 40 to 50 million per year. 125,000 per day is a horrific, bone-chilling nightmare that puts the coronavirus pandemic's 32,000 global deaths. It's the end of the world panic and stay home, stay alive 
passionate cry, and moral outrage into proper perspective. 1.6 billion babies have been slaughtered in the world's bloodiest genocide since 1980. 40 to 50 million babies are murdered every year, and 125,000 babies are murdered every day. Who cares? Who cares? There is a societal silence, a universal apathy, and the body of Christ is part of it. What we've put on display in response to the coronavirus is our self-love, our self-love. We love our lives. We consider our lives precious, but not in the biblical sense. Not for the glory of God, not for the love of God, not for the love of saints, not for the love of perishing sinners, and not for the love of perishing babies. 125,000 of them a day. But no, just that we might have a long, prosperous, comfortable, easy, safe life. God did not give you a life that it might be long and prosperous, safe, comfortable, and easy. He gave you a life to spend for His glory, to be spent for the love of God and the love of neighbor as self. 32,000 born people in a world of 7.8 billion people contract the coronavirus and die. Global panic. Stop everything. Do the right thing. Love your neighbor. Stay home. Stay alive. Criminalize the men and women who would dare go forth and proclaim the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ for the saving of souls and the rescuing of unborn babies. Ridicule. Anathematize. Consider them fools. Oh, dear friends, do the moral math. Don't buy into the world's panic and moral outrage. Love your unborn neighbors. Love the 1.6 billion babies murdered since 1980. Love the 40 to 50 million babies murdered every year. Love the 125,000 babies who will be violently burned, crushed, and ripped limb from limb today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the one after that and the one after that until the body of Christ stands up. Until the body of Christ joins the Apostle Paul and says, none of these things move me to the world and its desires that are passing away, to the threat of chains and tribulation, to the threat of tears and trials. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. Do the moral math. Here, Proverbs 24, verses 11 through 12. Deliver those who are drawn to death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? Soberly reflect upon that. The news is full of the World Health organizations, findings. Every day you hear something about the who saying this and the who saying that. Here's the who death rate that we should be watching. Here's the who death rate that we should be publishing. Here's the who death rate that should fill our social media. Here's the who death rate that should raise a hue and cry of humanity. Here's the who death rate 
that should compel Christians around the globe to go stand and speak God's law and gospel for the salvation of souls and the rescuing of the 125,000 babies who will be murdered tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. The 40 to 50 million human beings who will be slaughtered this year and every year thereafter until mankind rises up with true moral outrage and says this evil must stop. On the World Health Organization's website, it says this, every year in the world, there are an estimated 40 to 50 million abortions. This corresponds to approximately 125,000 abortions per day. Some of you may have been questioning my numbers. You may have been thinking, well, he probably got those from some Christian organization or some anti-choice organization for some radical pro-life organization that padded the numbers. No, these are the death rates given by the WHO, the World Health Organization. My counsel to you for love of God and love of neighbor and love of you, my dear friend, is to get your eyes off the coronavirus death rate reported by the WHO and get your eyes and your heart on the murder rate reported by the WHO. Soberly reflect upon that and let that compel you to go and stand and speak the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ for the saving of souls and the rescuing of millions of unborn babies to the glory of God. In review, as we consider how not to waste the coronavirus, how to engage in a sober coronavirus reflection, the first point was reflect on the global curse of sin and death that's dragging sinners to hell daily. 107 deaths per minute, 6,390 per hour, 153,000 per day, 57 million per year, and 3.9 billion in the average lifetime of 70 years. Secondly, reflect on the brevity of life. Third, reflect on how you should spend the one precious life you've got. And fourth, Reflect on our global and national abortion genocide. And don't fall for the world's pandemic panic and moral outrage. I'll close with James 4, 13 and 14 once again. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. What is your life? You will give an answer for that when you stand before your God. What will your answer be? May you stop and soberly consider what is your life? How are you spending your one precious life? Let us pray.